Pastor Steve is, is like a father to me, and uh, we're going to show a little picture of our family. Our, our, our son, we give his middle name um, after you, in the French way, Etienne de Steven, really. And our, our little one is the one who inherited the most of, of, of Steve's character, because when I cross the street with her, she's only two. But she's like, good job, Dad, you crossed the street. You did it. Good job. <laughs> and so that came from Pastor Steve indirectly. So I always start with a picture of my family because when people see me, even in my own church, they're like, you, you, you're too young to preach. And so I tell them, no, no, uh, my, my wife say I've inherited, I've been cursed with eternal youth and beauty. <laughs> and um, so as she, she got asked out by a junior hire a few weeks ago. But, you know, so that's our family. We've been in France for four years. We met here in this church. My, my wife was here. She came here in 98, and we were here till uh, 2012. And I came in 2006. I was an intern with Pastor Steve for four years, and we've had some of our best memories here. We got married here in 2011. Our, our daughter, Elena, the, the oldest one, she came to church for her first service here at six days old. And uh, we, we've had a lot of great, great moments here. I, I fell in love with my wife here. She was in front of me right here uh, in tears, pleading for the youth group to repent and follow Christ. And uh, that touched my heart. And at the same time, she was in the wheelchair in the back, worshiping God with all her heart. When she didn't know she would ever walk again, have a normal life. And, um, and I thought, if she's like that when it's hard, how it's going to be for the rest of life. And uh, so I fell in love with her. We got married here, and now we are in France. So often you ask me, how is her health doing? Obviously, she has uh, autoimmune disorders, ups and downs. But this year's been good. She's been able to do more. She's uh, involved in the staff at church. Uh, she ha helps with the music, with the sound at church. She likes to decorate. We do, do a lot of marriage prep. We have a lot of young people in our church in France. Um, if we go to the next picture, that's our two oldest ones, Timothy and Elena. And just a few words about our kids. And I, I know you, you're pretty curious if, if you met, met them or if you knew Sophia and I for years back. Elena, she's going to turn seven next month. And she really is a sweetheart. And she always has good retorts. She puts me to shame. Uh, last week I asked her, okay, girl, what are you going to do with her, your sin? And she looks at me and she says, Dad, sin is crouching at the door, but I will not let that door open. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a few months ago, I was on my computer working, and my, my wife had the, the youngest one in her arm, and, and our little boy was disrespecting her and giving her a hard time, and I was too focused in my own world to pay attention to it. And she comes to me and looks at me with her straight in the eyes, with her blue eyes, until I, I pay attention, and she tells me, Dad, are you really going to let treat you, someone treat your wife like that? <laughs> so, so, yeah, she, she's a good backup for me. And our son, Timothy, is, is a sweet, sweet boy. He's a, he really takes care of his sisters. He's got less self-control. He's a little five-year-old boy. But we're really, really thankful for him. And then we have our last one, Clarice. So she's two years old, and, and she's the life of the party wherever she goes. Um, a year ago, I, I, I took notes in one week of all the new things she did, just in one week. That included turning on the oven, turning off the washing machine, calling the police. She did 911, so that was fun. Uh, <laughs> deleted files on the computer, dry, drying on the walls, emptying stuff in the bathroom, in the toilet, putting stuff in the fridge, climbing on the bunk bed. We don't know how she got there. But anyways, that's our third one, and uh, we're happy to have her in the mix. So if you keep going... We're, I'm pastoring a church in, in Lyon, France. I followed after a TMS grad that had been there for 20 years. And uh, the church continues to grow. We're about 200, 250 each Sunday. Even though last week we had some baptism, we had 350 people 
for 240 chairs auditorium, so it was exciting to see people standing up and some of the elders going back home because there was no room and they want to <laughs> give room for other people. We're voting an eighth elder this week, so it's a, a, a steady church. We have a good group, um, and we have a good group of, of volunteer to, to support me in, in the mix. By God's grace, because I'm able to have some support from the outside, 50% of the resource of the church go towards uh, church planning and mission. And so that's the mission of our church is to multiply disciples, leaders, churches. That's in the DNA of our church. And the, the three church plans we started, we didn't even have to tell people to do it. Uh, home groups, Bible studies, one day this, three of them decided we want to become a church. And so we followed them up, accompanied. Yeah, I'm French. <laughs> and, um, and, so, and so it became church plans. It's really exciting. If we go to the next slide, um, one of the most exciting things that we've seen in France in the past few years is people just show up on their own and they want to get saved. And a study just recently is going to be published in a few months of someone doing his doctorate in churches in French-speaking part of Belgium. I showed that 50% of people that come to church in, in, in this region come at, on their own initiative because of internet, because of curiosity, because relig religion has been so shunned down. People don't know anything and they want to know more. And so people just show up in church and they want to know more. And so I just want to show pictures of a few people that got saved recently. The one on the left, Kafui. She just showed up to church because we, we had a, a seminar on world religions, and she was curious. She came, she heard the truth, and she never left. And now she's one of the most joyful person in our church. She's part of the worship team. She's leading with the women's ministry now. She's part of the, of the team, and she's a big sunshine in the church. Next to her is Christophe, who uh, was a devout atheist, and uh, grew up just hating God. His parents hated God, and he hated God. And one time, he, he, he was looking for answers, and he tried to go to a priest, and the priest said, sorry, I don't have time for you. And so he, he, he came to our church, and we started going in the Word, and his life completely got transformed. And so he's one of the guys I'm following up, and it's, it's a joy to be with him. Jérémy Gret, the third guy, um, just got saved about a year and a half ago. He came to church and uh, he said he had a weight in his, in his stomach for years uh, of, of just being so stressed out, so angry, so upset about life. And he said, I, I came to church and the first day that disappeared. And he's been in our church la last, last few weeks for uh, Valentine's Day. Took 30 people went in the street to share the gospel. Uh, one of the, our, our leaders with the young actives, young adults, and he's a joy to have in, in the team. And then lastly, yeah, last week we had five baptisms. That was exciting. And so a lot of people just every month, every other month, people just show up and they want to get saved. And so that's one of my greatest joy. Um, and so we're, we're having a building project because we don't have enough room for everybody. Even though we're church planning, we're getting to a limit. So hopefully we'll be able in a few years to, to go towards that. And um, we've, um, we've received an inheritance from someone in our church that died and that allowed us to... Um, pay for our old building and then also help our church plants to start on their own buildings. So the next one is our second church plant that we launched three years ago. Well, no, that's the, the newest one, sorry, uh, that I'm part of. It's on Sunday night, so I go preach there. And uh, we're about 50 people, and it's really exciting. The next one is uh, in Trévoux. It's 20 miles north of Lyon where I'm at. And we have, we have about 80 people that, that, that meet there faithfully with the young men that became the pastor. And then the, the first church plan we launched about five, six years ago. Now there are about 80, 100 people on a, on a good, good service, and they continue to grow. So it's really, really neat to see what God is doing. Uh, 
I also have a teaching ministry. I mean, being trained here at TMS and then going to France and, and then you're the man. Just, there's such a big lack of leadership that um, even me, they, they, they give me a lot of responsibility. So it's, it's really fun to be there and have a lot of opportunities. Um, I started teaching at a Bible Institute in Geneva. Um, and I teach seminars on, on the glory of God, worship, books on, of, the, of the Bible, a bit, a bit everywhere in France when I have opportunities. Um, if we go to the next slide, uh, this, this year for the first time I was able to, to join a, a group of TMS guys and go do a seminar in preaching in Madagascar. And obviously there's, there's a lot uh, of uh, countries that speak French and a lot of Africa speak French. And, uh, and when we produce resources, when we're able to teach, we're able to, to bless a lot more than just people in France. And so I was, I was there with a lot of friends and, 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 and great people. It was humbling to be with them, but teaching on expository preaching uh, in other countries. Um, and with that, I also have a, a publishing ministry, so it's, it's fun. We have a publishing house associated with our church, and so I've had the joy to write three books or co-wrote three books in the past five years and one on, on, on preaching, so we're able to teach on that and, and give that as a, as a tool uh, in the French-speaking world. I've, I've uh, also a, a heart for music, and if you've known me when I was there, and I see some of my old piano students here, that's kind of fun. But uh, yeah, I, I, I have the joy to, to be part of a music ministry, translate songs, publish songs, do some, some recordings. Uh, I was able last year to, to lead worship at the Gospel Coalition meeting for about 700 pastors, and that was a highlight. And then this week, uh, next slide, I was able to meet with the Gettys, where uh, I'm going to be their official translator in France, so that's kind of fun. And I'm already doing that with Sovereign Grace. So we're able to produce good resources and spread that throughout France and make a difference for Christ. So I, I do a lot of networking in France as well just because it's we're, there's not a lot of Christians and we're trying to get good resources. So I try to get involved when I can in conferences, try, try to travel, try to go to committees. And um, it's really fun uh, to see what God is doing in France. There's more and more visibility for the, for the Christians. More and more people are hearing about us. Just last week, I had a phone call from the biggest French-speaking TV station in, in the world, and they wanted to come to our church. And we said no, but they called us, so. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's neat to, say that, to see that, that we have those opportunities, and um, I'm just thrilled to be in France. Thrilled to be where God has placed us. I don't deserve to be where I'm at, to see the fruit that people have labored for years and years to see in France that they didn't see. And here we are with our family, and we sing a lot of it, and we're very, very thankful to be there. And thank you for your prayers. Thank you for supporting us. Um, if you want to know more, you can sign up in the back for a newsletter, and, and um, we'll be happy to, to keep you in the loop. So let's go to the serious stuff now. Um, we can go to the next slide. <laughs> a few weeks ago, my, my wife asked me, if you had a, a supernatural power, uh, which one would you like to have? And probably you've thought about that before. I mean, we live in an age where we, we, we think about that all the time. Hollywood thinks about it all the time. Uh, books uh, think about it all the time. And it's not new. It's not new. When you study the religion, the history of, of all the world, they all had their demigods, superheroes, etc. And it's it, it, sure, I mean, who wouldn't like to be fast, to be strong, to breathe underwater, to fly? Um, there's a lot of supernatural powers that appeal to us, right? But if we had to find the, the most powerful supernatural power, which one do you think that would be? You, you actually have the right to talk to me. <laughs> what, what power do you think is the most powerful supernatural power? The one you would pick for yourself. 
Time travel. What else? Power of God. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> but right, I mean, you, when, when you're strong, you win the day. When you're fast, you don't have to go through traffic. I mean, there, there's so many things that could alleviate our, our daily life that could be fun. But I agree with the first answer that was given. If we go to the next slide. The power of time is, when, when you have someone who, who, who can master time, you know you're going to win. You know you're going to win. No, no matter what happens, and maybe you guys are, uh, have been watching the, the Marvel movies, and a thing in the, the last uh, Infinity War, was it called? The, the guy who mastered time says, you know, there's 14 million chances, but there's one, and he knows which one it is, and so we know next week will come out and they will win. But if you master time, you know you're going to win. You can go fix the past. You can fix the present. You, go, you can go fix the, the future. And you know that if you have that, you're the most powerful person I- I around. And there's no power that we haven't uh, dreamed of having more than the control of time. We want to control our lives. We want to control our routine. We want to live as long as possible. We like to, to keep in our agenda, the, the, our, our, a bubble with the, our favorite people, our favorite activities, our favorite moments. If we could just have that, we would be the happiest people, right? If we could just master and control every moment of the day with just the parts that we like and put aside the parts we don't like and we, we travel in time and we get rid of Hitler and things like that. And, and we could live in a world that if we could control time, would be so much better. And when you turn in the Bible... How does it start? In the beginning, God. And the Bible is very clear from the beginning to the end that God masters time. That power is His power to control. In the beginning, God. And you go to the end. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. God is the complete master of time. Psalm 90, Moses writes, You return men to dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Time is power, and the one who has control over time has absolute power. And that's a power we don't have. That's a power we don't have. We just don't have that power to control time. But God does. And today I would like to go briefly in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I see time has flown by very quickly. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon's going to ask us a question. What's the gain of controlling time? And what kind of control can we really have on time? And the book of Ecclesiastes is a book I I really like. And in this book, Solomon's going to ask over 31 questions. And he's not going to answer all of them. His goal is to make her think. And all of those questions are just to provoke us and make us think. He's going to ask questions like, do you know if, if, if the spirit of animals go up or down after they die? Do you know if, if animals go to heaven or not? And he's, he's trying to tease us. You know that right now there's millions of dogs that are happier than you, right? You know that, right? There's millions of dogs that are happier and more content than you. And some of them will go to heaven on top of that. And so Solomon just likes to ask questions like that. And so he's going to ask questions, what's the point of our work? Right? I don't know what job you have. I'm a pastor. Every week I preach to obey the gospel, and every week my people keep sinning, and I'm one of them. 
my wife, she, she's a mom. Every, every day she cleans the house and it just takes 10 minutes for the kids to destroy it. And so at the end of the day, you're like, what's the point? I work for a company. I don't know how long it's going to last. One day it's going gonna, it's gonna to be destroyed. And everything we do, at the end of the day, we're going to be wondering, what's the point? What's the point? He's going to ask the question, what's the point of human wisdom? What's the point of, of being smart? I don't know if you know the, the, the story of Francis Bacon, one of the smartest scientists of, of, of the past uh, generations. He died doing an experience. He wanted to try if, if, if snow could keep a, a chicken frozen uh, and, and the meat good, and he died of, of, of a cold. You can be smart and, and, and die in a very stupid way. I mean, we don't control that. And someone's going to ask, what's the point? He's going to ask the, the, the question, what's the point of, of being independent? In the Western world, we love being independent. And Solomon, Solomon was going to say, I, I, I've tried to get out of every single box that could exist. I've tried to live the most extravagant life that you could imagine. And at the end of the day, he's going to ask that question, chapter 2. What were we expecting from the one following the king? I just followed the king, and I just did everything people expected. A crazy king, an extravagant king. There was a box for that. He wasn't able to get out of the boxes. He wasn't able to create a new system. He wasn't able to create a life that transcended normal life. Being independent doesn't help. And so for all these questions, he's going to go back to the same answer. You fear God and you depend on him. Because there's not one inch square of your life, there's not one second of your life that has meaning apart from depending on God. Nothing. Nothing at all. And so we get to chapter 3, and right, after, right before that, chapter 2, Solomon's going to pour out his heart saying, I've tried everything. I've tried everything. I've tried pleasure. I've tried experience. I've tried accomplishments. And he's going to say, I hated my life. I was empty. I was up to despair. And he goes to chapter 3, reminding us one more time that we're not in control of anything and that nothing has meaning without God. Nothing has meaning without God. And what I love about Solomon is that in the Western world, we know that in our heads, right? We know that life doesn't make sense without God. But on our daily, daily way of living, we don't really practice it as much as we should. And what I love about Solomon, what he writes, is that he makes you feel things. And the depth of your heart that you can't walk away without feeling that without God, you're really empty, and this is what we see, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. This is the word of God. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to cast away. A time to tear, a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And what's the point? What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. 
also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all its, its toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. And we couldn't show a better contrast between men and God. <laughs> How little we control, we're in a cycle that everything is contradictory. We cannot control anything. And yet, whatever God touches with his fingers endures forever. Solomon starts with showing man's control of time. How absurd it is to think that we can control anything. How life, our existence, is a constant contradiction. We live in a world in tension. There, there, there's trials, there's sadness, there, there's, there's difficulties, and no matter what we do, we cannot get out of that. We just can't get out of that. That's the world in which we live. Maybe we, you, you've heard the, the story uh, of the Mexican fisherman. Let, let me read it to you. An American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docks. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The American then asked, why didn't you stay longer and catch more fish? The Mexican said he had enough to support his family, immediate needs. And the American then asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? And the fisherman answered, I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take siestas with my, life, my wife, Maria, stroll into the village evening where I sip wine, play a little guitar with my amigos, have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. I am a Harvard MBA and could help you. You should spend more time fishing and with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. With the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would sell di directly to the processor, eventually opening your own cannery. You would control the product processing distribution. You would need to leave the small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then LA, and then New York City, where you would run your expanding enterprise. So the fisherman asked, okay, how long would that take? Mm, 15 to 20 years. And, uh, and then what? And the businessman replies, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You would make millions. Millions, and then what? Then you would retire, move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sit wine, play your guitar with your amigos. Isn't that a good summary of life on earth? We're trying so hard to find meaning by just running in every direction we can. And at the end of the day, we haven't advanced an inch, not a single inch. Without God, we cannot advance a single inch. And so Solomon is going to put that contrast. He's going to give it to us. There's a time to be born and a time to die. We don't like that. We don't like talking about death. We don't like that reality. And yet that's the reality of life on earth. And when, when I go to a funeral, when I make a, do a funeral, I quote Ecclesiastes almost every single time. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. 
for this is the end of mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Death is one of our best teachers. But we don't like that reality. There's a time for birth to be born. There's a time for death. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And in France, I grew up near uh, a lot of uh, crops and you see them being plucked every year and replanted and it doesn't last. And all our efforts, all the, 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 the society we invest in, all the ministries we invest in, we plant something that one day will disappear. One day will be uprooted. And some tra traditions that we inherit and things we do in church, sometimes we, 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 we take them out. Sometimes we have to replant, sometimes we have to redo things, but nothing here lasts forever. And I often tell my church, one day this church will disappear. One day this church will die, like every other church since the day of the apostles. <laughs> None of them are still alive today. There's a time to kill and a time to heal, especially if you like to eat a good steak. I have a friend who said, if God didn't want us to eat animals, he wouldn't have made them out of meat. But Solomon likes to tease us. There's a time to heal. That means there's a time not to heal. That's a slap in the face of the American dream. <laughs> there's a time not to heal. We don't, we don't like that. We like to be in control and say, no, if I pursue enough, if I invest enough, if I see enough doctors, I will be healed. And Solomon tells us there's a time for that and there's a time for not healing. We're not in control. There's a time to break down, a time to build up. And we're dreaming of a, of a building project in our church, and you're dreaming of one in your church. But not even half a, a, a mile from our church, there's a church being demolished right now. And that's the history of, of, of life. Things break down, and we have to be in that cycle. There's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Life is just a permanent contradiction. I went to the Shepherd Conference. I was happy to be under good teaching. I was sad that my bottom was hurting at the end of the day. I was happy to see a lot of my good friends and I was sad to be exhausted at the end of the day. And we're happy when we have kids that are born and we're sad because we don't sleep at night. And you're happy when you get a bigger home or more suited for your family or your needs and you're sad when you have to move and, and, and invest and, 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 and see your money disappear. You're happy to go to the beach and you're sad when you come home with a sunburn. Life is just a permanent contradiction. A few weeks ago, a lady c came in my, in my office crying and laughing <laughs> she was crying saying i have just discovered christ and i'm going to tell my family that are muslim and they will reject me and then with a big smile on her face she says but christ gives eternal life and i'm happy to follow him and our condition on earth we're just trapped is in that tension and solomon tells us you have to accept it because you're not god that's not your place we don't have that power to control time and to control our lives, but God does. And the only option we have is to trust him and to depend on him. There's a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Every, every peace treaty in the history of mankind has been broken by war. Every single one of them. 
And that's the reality of the world in which we live. We live in a world in tension. And we like, we like, we like music because music has, has something good. When, in music, when, when, when you start with a chord, usually you end with the same chord, right? That, that's how songs are written. You start with the main chord and you end with the same chord and, and you get to a resolution where you finally feel at peace. But if you don't do that, I'll, I'll just go on the piano. If you just, you know, and Chris will tell you, if you go to the one and then you go to the fourth and then you stop, something's missing, right? You need to go back to the main chord. But the fact is, the world in which we live, the first chord was played in the Garden of Eden. And we can never play that chord back until we go to heaven. And so try to control, the, to create that little bubble in which we have our little Garden of Eden where we control things and we try to have our comfort, we try to have our wealth, we try to have our health. It's just nonsense. Because that's not the reality of the world in which we live. The last chord that will finally appease attention, God will play in heaven, but not on earth. And so Solomon asked the question, what's the point? Verse 10, what, what gain do we work from all of this? And, and, and his conclusion is the same one in all the book he's going to repeat. You, you have only one thing to do is to trust God <laughs> and to give him the control of your life because you are not in control and to trust God and to let him be the one who, 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 who directs your path and, and you invest in what is eternal and what um, God has revealed. C.S. Lewis wrote on, on that tension, the pro problem of pain. The Christian doctrine of suffering explains, I believe, a very curious facts about the world in which we live. The settled happiness and security which we all desire, God withholds from us by the very nature of the world. But joy, pleasure, and merriment, he has scattered broadcasts. We are never safe, but we have plenty of fun and some ecstasy. It's not hard to see why. The security we crave would teach us to rest our hearts in this world and oppose an obstacle to our return to God. A few moments of happy love, a landscape, a symphony, a mere meeting with our friends, a, a bath or a football match have no such tendency. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. Our home is not here. Our home is in heaven. And what really matters is what we do for up there. We don't control our time, but God does. And that's what Solomon uh, is going to tell us in the next verses from verse 10 to, 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 to 15. I've seen that the business that God has given to the children of men to be, wi be busy with, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into men's heart, yes, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there's nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil that is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endure forever, nothing can be added to it nor nothing taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. And Solomon, when we look at his writings, is fascinated by God's control of time. And in, in this passage, he's going to tell us God is, is perfectly in control of the present, of the future, but even of the past. God controls absolutely everything. He's in control of the present. He makes everything beautiful in its time. 
There's no mistake in the plan of God and, and the presence, presence that unfolds. God is perfectly in control of every breath, every second, every ounce of energy that we spend. God, God is in control of absolutely everything to make it work for our good in the end. Even though our life on earth is just a breath, even though it goes so fast, God has given in our heart the thought of eternity, says Solomon. We, we crave for something bigger, right? We crave for something infinite. We crave for those supernatural powers and, and, and just a life that, that, that just goes beyond what we see on a daily basis. And that's why we're so frustrated on earth because we're so limited in our own strength. And uh, I've got a few pictures here. Often we, we look at the world in which we live and it's like the back of the tapestry. Maybe you've heard that illustration before. It just doesn't make sense. You see the threads, they go in all sorts of directions. Like, God, I don't understand this trial. I don't understand this relationship. I don't understand what's going on. And then if we go to the next one, we know that God, on his perspective, he sees everything. He builds everything towards perfection. But it's not our role <laughs> to define what God is going to do with our lives and how he's going to build it towards that perfection. So we only have two choices possible. Either we trust God or else like Solomon, we hate life and we despair and we become angry. Solomon tells us <laughs> from the beginning of the end, man just doesn't get it. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's the Bible. It starts with Adam and Eve, they don't get it. You go to Revelation, Jesus has reigned for 1,000 years of perfection on earth. And there's a crowd bigger than uh, all the sin on earth that, that, that's going to rise up against him. From the beginning of the end, we just don't get it. We just don't get it, even though God has meaning for us. He has a meaning for our present, even though we don't get it, though. Verses 12 and 13, I've perceived that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, uh, so that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That is God's gift to men. And Solomon, he tried all the excesses, all, all the extravagant stuff. And he's going to tell us that what's wonderful about God is that he's the God of the small stuff. You can, when you eat with him for his glory, when you drink with him, when you work thinking of him, all of that has meaning. All of that has infinite meaning. All of that is, is, is rich. The God who controls the present, even though we don't understand, when we live the simplest thing in life and we give room for him to really be the master of, of our daily life, that has infinite meaning. God controls the present. He also controls the future. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. This is probably one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. The hope that he gives that whatever I touch when I depend on God lasts forever. I mean, can you imagine you, you put one cent in the bank account and it has infinite uh, reward? When you invest for God, it, God, God touches something, it, it never ends to produce reward. It doesn't matter if it's doing the dishes, is is spanking your kid, is 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 singing to him. Wh whatever small thing we do for him, as long as we fear him, when God touches it, it lasts forever. And that gives meaning for 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 everything we do. When God touches it, it lasts forever. It gives me so much hope. 
life has so much meaning with God. And that's why we want to let him control every inch of our life, every second of our life, everything that we do. Because there's no hope apart from what God does. There's nothing that we do, if God doesn't touch it, that will go into eternity. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing redeemable in our past, our present, or our future if God doesn't touch it. But God controls the future. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. God controls the future, but he also controls the past. Verse 15, that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away, literally what is of the past. How much comfort is it to remember that God controls every single second of our past? That no matter what we've done, God controls it. God is the master of it. And there's nothing that is part of our past. There's no regret. There's not, no sin that, that God is not a master over. And that's why Paul could say, I forget what's behind, even though he was a murderer. He said, I run for what's ahead. Because God is in control of our past, of every second, every sin, every mistake we've made. God is in control of that. And he's, he's able to, God seeks what has been driven away. God is able to take what was in our past and bring forgiveness, bring meeting. And that's the message of the cross. That's the message of the cross. At the cross, Jesus has paid for everything, past, future, present. The God that is absolutely, overwhelmingly the master of everything and of every second that passes. And I, lo I love Solomon. I love how he writes his book of Ecclesiastes because he makes you feel things like I, I, I was saying. And, and, and Solomon, he, he's going to make us feel how, how, how ugly is unbelief, how ugly is the love of the world, how ugly it is to, 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 to try to control, to, to seek things of the world. And yet, when Solomon describes God, he's a God that you want to follow. A God that is beautiful, that makes everything beautiful. A God that controls absolutely everything and who can gives meaning in everything, even the simple things of life, as long as we trust him. I'm just gonna end with this. Paul was writing 2 Corinthians 6. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Doesn't matter wh where you're at right now. Doesn't matter the trials you're gonna have tomorrow. Today, God is here. And today, God is here to answer our needs. Today, God is here to be with us. Today, God is here to save from our sins if we haven't repented. He's the God of the present, he's the God of future, and he's the God of the past. Let's pray.
Hey, God, it's true that we know in our heads that without you, life has no meaning. But so often in the way we live, in our daily routine, in our priorities, where we invest our time and our energy, we forget the reward that is waiting for those who fear you. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged by the, the words that we have read this morning to just entrust more of our lives to you, to just trust you more, follow you with more zeal, with more energy. Help us to remember that what counts is what you touch, what is eternal. Help us to remember that through salvation we can go to heaven and enjoy you forever. And at the same time, those that don't know you will be condemned. And this is the day where we can reach to them and bring them the message of salvation. Help us, Father, to, to follow you, to give you the first place in our life, and to repent from whatever does not please you. Help us to not ple- be, be playing game with uh, our investment of time, but remember what is eternal and what is not, and that there's no hope for what is not eternal and what you don't touch. In your name we pray, amen.